Welcome to Faith of the Fathers podcast, where scripture matters and history is the Lord's. I'm your host, Nathan Waters, and I'm here with my co-host, Jordan Lyons. How are you doing today, sir? Doing good. Very, very good. Good. Glad to be on. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Um, today, we're kind of unsure where to go with our first podcast because there's so many social issues in the world today. There is <laughs> so many bad doctrines being taught in churches. Yeah. But we just, we couldn't really get around one particular thing that has been happening uh, steadily over the past, what, half a century, would you say? Oh, yeah. And at least. So today's topic, we are going to talk about Bible versions, talk about text lines, and really give our, our thoughts on what are good translations and what are bad translations. So to start out with, uh, I'm going to have Jordan kind of explain uh, the text lines of the Old Testament and and give us a breakdown of, of that. Sure, yeah. I mean, w- w- what you essentially see with Old Testament text lines is naturally uh, we have the Hebrew um, continuations that we see um, that were preserved and preserved quite well and were used in synagogues for a thousand years. But once we get to the time of Christ, because we're Christians and the podcast is about Christianity, I mean, we're Christians now, the text lines started to vary um, to an extent. And that was affected at least partially by the Greek occupation of Judea. And people started speaking Greek. Jews Jews started speaking Greek. And by that time, Jews uh, were not, many Jews were not even speaking Hebrew anymore. Hmm. Uh, and that's, that's one thing that you hear from a lot of uh, atheists and people who try to contend against Christianity is they say, well, how could, you know, the apostles write in, in Greek, you know, if, if they're Jews. Yeah. But the, in that time period through the Roman empire, uh, bringing in that Koine Greek, mm-hmm. they, it became more, more common for it to be used, mm-hmm. especially writers like Matthew who mm-hmm. had their kind of their schooling and their occupation as tax collector dealing with the Roman government. Mm-hmm. You can, you can make the case that, listen, these people, it was interchangeable. It goes on a case by case basis. Yeah. By the time of, uh, of the, on the verge of the first century, uh, there were many Jews that were trilingual that were born into a trilingual world. Uh, in, in fact, even a quadrilingual world some speaking as many as uh, languages as, as uh, aramaic greek hebrew and latin and this was not it was not uncommon there were those so the scriptures started to be translated into these and we do know that there were many proselytes of judaism in other countries and so there were text lines that were sent to you know places in the area um, of, of uh, outside of Judea. We, we hear of Syrian Jews and, and things like that. But the, the text was 
unaltered. It was perfect. The Lord preserved it perfectly. And you can see this by the amazing cohesion of the different linguistic texts matching up. Hmm. So the name that that we're going to give this text line is the Septuagint, correct? The one that was translated into Greek, yes, the Septuagint. And that that stands for 70. Septuaginta is the old term word for it. And when the Septuaginta was put together, it was a pre-Roman occupation. It was in a lot it was it was in mainline use and even it was a mainline use in some of the uh, larger synagogues that had Greek speakers in them. Mm. And the the Septuaginta gets its name from the 70 scribes who were brought together under Ptolemy, who was one of the Alexandrian kings that was set over Judea. And he ordered to prove he wanted to know what if, if he wanted to know if this divine authority, this divine power that uh, God manifests through the scripture, uh, he wanted to see if it, it, you know, he wanted to see what the deal was. Right. Because, you know, we got a pagan here. Hmm. So essentially, we have this preserved text line for the Old Testament mm-hmm. that was written by holy men. Mm-hmm. And then it was. Uh, preserved and passed down through generation and after generation and it was kept sacred mm-hmm. and then after christ we run into another text line uh that goes by the masoretic text line correct yeah the masoretic text would come many years after jesus um the septuagint however would become the standard for the christian world um, and the standard for the apostles, because mm-hmm. the apostles naturally went into a lot of Greek-speaking areas. And uh, the apostles, when they do quote scripture, uh, I want to say 60-plus percent of the quotations of the Old Testament in the New Testament are actually from the Septuagint uh, or the Septuaginta. All right, so that brings us to a really important part of this discussion, uh, because... We both have have read at least portions of the Septuagint. I know you read out of that yes. uh, consistently. I use Very both so. the Masoretic uh, out of the King James Version, and I use also uh, Brenton's yeah. translation of the Septuagint. Great, great translation. Yeah. And so when we are reading out of the Septuagint, and we match that with our reading out of the New Testament, which we'll get to later uh, the, the Texas Receptus, the mm, TR, mm-hmm. uh, you see quotations of whether it's Jesus quoting mm. the prophets. Mm-hmm. And you go back and you read these prophets in, in the Septuagint. Yes. And it's like almost word for word. It is. It is. And, 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 sometimes there, the, and sometimes there might be a single word that's different, but it's almost verbatim. It's pretty incredible. And as you were speaking about the Masoretic, not that it's a bad text, it's not, but it's telling that the Masoretic was put together by the Masorete Jews after the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, there are some telling signs 
in uh, what we would call parts of the Masoretic that include things and exclude things. Um, but there's, I wouldn't say the Masoretic is, uh, I don't think there's enough there to be worried. Hmm. Um, but there are, there are striking details that are lacking in the Masoretic, such as the lineage of Job, um, uh, the, some of the events, um, some of the certain, certain verses even, here was here's an important part that I discovered. I was writing a message on the um, on the Ark of the Covenant, mm. and I was going through the, the dimensions. And I had read in a extra biblical book, the Gospel of Nicodemus, mm-hmm. talking about how Jesus would come in the fullness of time, and how the Ark added up to a certain number, and it matched the the number of years. The decades added up uh, in the um, genealogy of Jesus. Mm. So I went through and I checked them both side by side. And the time between Adam and his sons was 100 years different Mm -hmm. than in the Masoretic. Mm -hmm. And I went through and every single one, it was 100 years off. And it was was just so weird. So one has to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And one is right. I mean, there. This is one of those uh, those samples from both that it's like you two plus two does not equal ten. That's two right. plus two equals four. Correct. And so you you cannot play with numbers and still be right. That's right. Yeah, and that's one of the striking things. And I think this is where the discerning Christian should come in and say, "Hey." I want to use, I, if, if the discerning Christian, you know, has the time, has the money, or has access to the internet, because you can access the, the entire Brenton Septuagint, and you can access very fine Masoretic versions on the internet, too. If, if you don't have the money or the time to purchase one yourself, I think a, a good discerning Christian would do well to have both. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a, you know, pinball between both of them. Uh, when you're, you know, when you're doing your deep study, um, naturally you're going to have your your regular everyday Bible that you stick to, but when you want to do your deep study, especially Old Testament, you want to balance between those two. Mm. There's right. a lot there, and and so we're we're not saying that people who use the Masoretic are any less spiritual. No, not uh, at all. And yeah, and if your church uses, you know, a text with. Or, or a Bible with the Masoretic text translated to English, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's not grounds to leave the church. But what we are saying is there's this preserved line that has to be studied, and it, it does. It, it has to be there because there are important things that were translated into English through Britain's translation yeah, was... that are missing from our Masoretic text. And, and what's funny, too, is there's even some things missing from the Masoretic, te- from the Septuagint that's in the Masoretic text, such as the verses, the, the expanded um, uh, the expanded story of the friendship of Jonathan. Was it Jonathan, who was David's friend, mm-hmm. my memory serves Yeah. Me? That is much smaller. That is much, there are far less verses uh, on that in the Septuagint. Uh, which is which is also fascinating, hmm. um, but yeah, the, the, there are 
they're both great texts. Uh, but I, I, I tell people, you want to read the Bible that Jesus used to get you a Septuagint. I'm not saying the Masoretic text is all bad. Uh, I'm not saying it's bad at all, actually. But 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 uh, definitely have both. It's definitely worth having both. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, and and this is coming from two guys who use both. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. And every single time that I'm studying a, a passage that I'm going to preach, I'm always going to have both of them open. I'm always going to be taking notes from both mm-hmm. and comparing them. Um, and I think it's it's the responsible thing to do, knowing the information that we know. You know yeah. I and mean, there, God gives grace to the Christian who may not know these things. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we're making this podcast is, is to just get more knowledge out there because today in Christianity, you ask 10, 10 Christians from your church, uh, how did you get your Bible? And nine of them can't give you an answer. No, no. They'll say Luther made it or uh, it just, you know, appeared or this or that. But um, yeah, it's. It's a, they're 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 two incredible Old Testament Old Testament texts for sure. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, where did where did the Masoretic text come from? What what location? If my memory serves me, it was Alexandria, Egypt. It could have been the Ma- the Masoretic. I do know. I, I don't know much about the Masoretes themselves. Um. That I have not done a lot of study on, but I do know. I want to say it was four. Want to say it was three or four hundred years after Christ that they produced the text, right. and then it became a standardized text for Judaism, mm. and it is still largely the standard text in yeshivas, which are Jewish seminaries. Um, although they use that uh, naturally, they're not Christians. Uh, so they cannot glean the proper grace from the text because they don't have Christ. But uh, they, they, I think they use those in yeshivas um, even today, Masoretic uh, texts. Um, okay, so uh, don't you love Google? So <laughs> Britannica.com, gotcha. they're a pretty trusted source. Yeah, they, say, they say it comes from uh, Palestine okay. around Babylonia. Okay, so I was, I was I, thinking it was Jerusalem, but I didn't want to say it might have been the Septuagint that that came from. Sep, the so the Septuagint was uh, s- set up in Judea, I think. No, yeah. it was Ju- okay. Judea. Um, it, it's always good to know locations too. It gives oh, you yeah. gives you uh, kind of insight to to who the people were that were behind the making of of the scripture. Yeah, because. You know, it, or preserving. like Christianity, there were many denominations of Judaism. Uh, even after the sack of Jerusalem, uh, um, that was prophesied by Jesus in the New Testament. Even after the sack of Jerusalem, several different sects of Judaism split into different places and went all over the all over the place. And they brought their text lines with them too. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Hmm. All right, so now that we're at this point, um, we have both of these text lines. Uh, both are good. We perceive one as better, better preserved, but they both should be used alongside of each other. Mm. So 
Bibles that you can find the Masoretic text in are virtually every single modern translation that we have, correct? Um, almost all of them. There are some that use a variety of Hebrew uh, text lines that have some minor variations. Um, but the Old Testament is so incredibly well-preserved that very much like the new testament mm. that uh yeah i would i would agree with you i would agree a lot of the a lot a lot a lot of uh bibles since 1611 under the auspices of the king james um have used the masoretic text in in western bibles mm. uh, in bibles east of or pardon uh in bibles west of poland i would say most bibles west of poland uh in europe were would go on to use masoretic versions into the 17 18 1900s right so what's interesting about the king james version is it actually uses both mm -hmm. it they only had a portion of the septuagint available to them uh but they did have the masoretic text because um, of their location and availability right Very and that and back then you know you you don't have email or you know google docs mm -mm. just or facts you couldn't you can you know just send over a a text which yeah. i think a lot of people don't they may understand it but they just kind of don't rationalize it yes it it wasn't just as cut and dry as okay let me type out this document and now it's preserved forever correct you know, it's, correct I mean, Not, especially before Gutenberg, but you know, af, af, you know, once we get into 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, you know, you you had to, you know, send the text by horseback, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And then even preserving it was an art in itself. I mean, yeah, you Very had men so. men dedicated to watch over them, um, and even their buildings, they their buildings are not up to code like buildings of today mm -mm. um you could have water leaks and uh i mean just anything from humidity all all these factors play into the preservation of text and so the fact that that we still today we have early manuscripts and we still have a plethora of them um i i kind of listened to uh some apologetics guys one of them being um what's his name the guy who had the movie oh case for christ with uh, uh lee strobel lee strobel great guy and he when he was doing his research how he came to christ he talked to scholars in in this field of uh, textual criticism and he discovered that we have more text for the bible than we do for virtually any other figure in history Yes, more than more than the founding documents of this country, more than the great philosophers such as Aristotle, Plato, um, uh, Marcus Aurelius, um, Virgil, on and on and on. I mean, I, Alexander I, the Great. <laughs> yeah, in any of these great writers who have these famous texts, We the, the scriptures outnumber them by the thousands, not even by the hundreds, but by the thousands. 
Um, it, how many were there? Do you remember a, a number off the top of your head? I, I, I thought it was it about 5,000. Probably. That's the that's a number I, I remember hearing. Yeah, if you're if you're looking if you're looking at preservation from uh, from that total view, yeah, I would I would say so. So I think we kind of maybe have covered the Old Testament pretty good. Yeah. Um, if any of our viewers, if you have questions for us. Um, Feel free to send them in, and we'll take time to answer them before every podcast. Until oh, yeah. until one day we grow big enough to where we get like thirty questions, then we wouldn't have time. Then we'd probably just designate a question and answer podcast yes. for that. Um, but and, f- and, f- and feel free to throw cabbages at me because my memory isn't that great. So just j- mine either. <laughs> not 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 too big of a cabbage though. <laughs> cabbages and tomatoes. Cabbage and tomato. Sounds like a good dinner. I'm kind of getting hungry. But um, so tune in next time for our our diving into the New Testament. That's that's going to be fun because that yeah. this is where a lot of uh, at least Christians today disagree. Yes. You know, you got you have it's great a- minds like James White and uh, Todd Friel. And these guys who debate against the KJV, you have a lot of KJV onlyists. You have, uh, you have people like yourself who pro who KJV. You, you're pro KJV, but yeah. you also uh, I use, you're big on the Latin Vulgate. Yeah, and, I love my Vulgate. Love my uh, patriarchal text of the uh, Greek Church. But it, you know, it'll be interesting because you'll be surprised at how many people who are outside of the evangelical world who have advocated for the KJV, some of the smartest scholars in the world. Mm. Um, but that'll be that'll be exciting to talk about. Yeah, I can't wait to get to that next episode. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're glad that you have, have came, and, and uh, I hope you do participate in the dialogue, whether it's through the comment section, through the email, uh, because we do want to hear from you. Uh, we are not closed-minded. We we have open minds as long as it goes with history and and as long as it is uh, philosophically and uh, theologically sound. We are willing to entertain any idea uh, and test it up to um, to God's word or, or to history. Amen. Amen. And so, with that, uh, my name is Nathan Waters, and with me was Jordan Lyons. And uh, we thank you for tuning in to Faith of the Fathers podcast.